Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time this morning, I'm Jim. I'm your pastor. It's good to see you on this three-day weekend. Um, would you like to hear a supernatural story? Uh, we don't have to. I can read you some cute things I got off a preaching website. We could do that instead. One of the things I love to do uh, here at the church, and if you're new here for the first time this morning, you don't know this, one of the things we love to do as a church is we love to share stories of when we've heard uh, God do something supernatural in someone's life. And I mean, really, just in the last year, there have, been, there have been story after story after story of God speaking supernaturally into the life of someone in a way that could not be a coincidence. Like, it's just, it's just you'll see, it's just, there's too much there for it to be a coincidence. And I, I heard another one this week. So you want to hear it? Okay, I figured you did. Uh, there's a guy in our congregation named Max, and Max is a police officer, uh, and Max gave me permission to share this story. Max uh, had left a party in which there was a, a lot of food left over, and he said, I'm going to take this down to the, uh, the night shift at the, at the police station, so let's put all this in my car. So he put all the food in the car, and he's headed to the police station to drop it off. And as he's driving, he says, I, I hear this voice say to me, he says, there have been twice in my life that I've heard it this clearly. I hear this voice say to me, call and find out where the winter shelter is. You know, the winter shelter where people stay if it's too cold outside, if it's dangerous to be outside, they open places. Call and find out where the winter shelter is. So he's, he stopped at an intersection and he gets on the horn and he says, uh, where's the winter shelter? And they say, well, it's the corner of this street and that street. Well, he has stopped at that intersection. I don't mean a block away. I mean, he is at that intersection and he goes, where is it? And they say, it's at the such and so church. And he goes, I'm parked right in front of that church. And he gets out and he walks in and he says, uh, hey, I heard this is where the winter shelter is. You guys doing okay? And they said, yeah, we're just about to serve dinner to everybody who's here. And he said, I've got a bunch of food in my car. Let me bring it in. And he brought it in and that helped feed everybody who was there for the night. Now, that was just as clear as, could day, clear as day. He didn't know that it was at that intersection. It wasn't that he remembered it. I mean, he heard a voice tell him, stop and find out where it is. And there it was. And I really believe that God wants to speak to you and I like that every day. That God wants to speak into our lives so that we know that he's there. And so that we know that he loves us. And so that he can use us to bless the lives of others. I think God wants to do that all the time. And I, I love when I hear that God has done that in one of your lives. I, I heard another one that I'm going to share with you in a, in a minute. And, and there's one next week. There's somebody who's going to sit up here with me next week and share a story of a time where God worked supernaturally in their lives. But, but I love the fact that, that God breaks through this world to speak to us in those ways. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of a community that's learning what it's like to listen to God, that's learning what it's like to open up your heart and let God speak through you. Uh, real life, uh, here in January, every year, we have a chance for everybody to become a member of the church. And so that's a two-step process. If you've never been to one of our Connect, event, uh, Connect events before, we have a Connect event 
on January 10th. That's just about an hour, hour and a half uh, in an afternoon where we get together and we talk about the vision and the values of the church. And you're invited to that. If you've never been to one before and you want to become a member of the church, that's the time to do it. If you've already been to one of those, you don't have to do it again. All you have to do is go out on the patio this morning and sign one of those membership covenants. We have a membership covenant that you sign when you become a member. If you sign one last year, every January we just re-up. Sign it again and say, yep, I'm still in. And that's because some churches, you know, they have roles where they just keep adding people and adding people. Somebody moves off to Michigan and they just stay on the roles. Somebody moves off to heaven and they just stay off the roles. So eventually, we want to make sure that, that every year we re-up, that we recommit ourselves. So if, if you want to do that, you'll find a membership covenants out on the patio this morning. And otherwise, see you at the Connect event on February 10th. But that's just a way of us saying, hey, we want to be this family together, this fellowship together that's listening for God and looking for what God is doing in our lives. So that's cool. Um, let's take a minute and we're going to, uh, pray and give thanks. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the 60 some people who are up at winter camp, uh, having fun. My kids up there, so I have special prayers for them this weekend, but, but camp is just a neat opportunity for people to connect to God and to listen to God and discover God in new ways. And kids who grow up going to camp, talk about those as, as just transformative experiences. So thanks for helping us make that happen and for sending us, uh, sending all of them up to camp this weekend. Uh, I want to pray thankfully for them. Uh, pray for those in your life who are in need of God's touch, uh, those who um, deal with ongoing sickness and are always in the hospital, uh, those who... I deal with breathing problems that just kind of weighs down everything else. It slows everything else down because when you're having trouble breathing, it's hard to do anything else or concentrate on anything else. Uh, pray for those who are in just chronic, chronic pain who just feel like God's, God's abandoned them. They feel like God's left them alone. That's not the, not the case. But let's, let's pray for all of them this morning. Pray with me. Father, I ask for your miraculous touch on those who have come here this morning listening for you, for those who are watching online, listening for you, and who want to hear your voice and who need your healing. Uh, you are a better parent than we've ever had. You're a better parent than we could ever be. God, parent us this morning. Work supernatural miracles in people's lives. Heal their bodies and touch their hearts. God, uh, shake the, the cobwebs off of our minds and our hearts. Shake the dust out of our eyes. Help us to see you and hear you and know you clearly this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let's get to work. There is a, uh, there's an ancient Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. Everybody say Heraclitus. You absolutely don't need to know that name at all, but there you go. And he said that the world is in a constant state of change. And I think he was right. Uh, his metaphor was that you, he says, you can't step in the same river twice. So in other words, if you go up to the Russian river, do a little inner tubing, you step in the Russian river and then you get out and you step in again. It's still the Russian river, but he says, literally the water that you touch before has already washed away downstream. When you step in it again, it's totally new water. It's not the same water at all. So you can't step in the same river twice. In other words, the world is in constant change. And he meant that down to the very physical level, down to the very microscopic level, everything is changing all the time. And that's true. There, there is change going on around you right now where you sit, just swirling around you that you can't necessarily see. So for instance, in the next minute, you will shed 40,000 skin cells. 
which is gross, so stop it. That's gross. We're going to have to sweep this room when you're done. Right, 40,000. If you shake hands with somebody, that's about a million skin cells that you lose. You lose about 57 million in a day. And that's, that's healthy. That's your body replenishing itself. All of our bodies do that all the time. But we're in this constant state of change that we can't see. It's at the microscopic level. Everything's changing all the time. We don't notice change until it starts to accumulate. When it gets big, we start to notice it. So, for instance, like global pollution, we're starting to notice because like coral reefs are dying off. Like you go, go down uh, below the ocean, there, there are coral reefs that used to be huge and expansive and beautiful that are now just kind of crumbling apart because of the accumulation of pollution. The spread of disease and cancer can be traced back in some cases to pollution. Pollution's done all kinds of things, but it's taken time for it to build up, to, to, to get worse over time. And then you start to notice change. But change is happening at the, at the little level around us all the time. There's actually kind of an interesting change that's happening right now in your, in your pocket. Um, the, the amount of gold in the world is limited. There's only so much. Uh, we, can, we can mine gold out of the, uh, out of the earth, but there's, they think there's about 57,000 tons of gold ore in the earth yet to be mined. But once we get it all, it's gone. That's it. They're not making any more. And a, a ton of gold doesn't go that far. A ton of gold ore makes about a gram of actual gold. And so it's actually, it's a limited resource. Most of it gets recycled. The gold jewelry that you're wearing right now could have been around for two, 3,000 years, and we melt it and reshape it, melt it, reshape it, mostly for jewelry. That's what we mostly use gold for. But it will run out, and it's running out faster now because of a new use we found for it. You don't know this. This is interesting. Maybe you do. There's a, there's a, in your pocket, there's a, a cell phone that uses a little bit of gold in it. Most cell phones have a little bit of gold in them because it's non-corrosive and it's a good conductor. So most cell phones have a little bit of gold in it. Now, the problem is we're making a lot more people and people are using a lot more cell phones. Like in the next year, there'll probably be another 80 million people born in the world. That's more than we have gold to make cell phones for. Like gold is literally running out as we sit here and you don't notice it. All you notice is that you're playing Candy Crush. But change like that is happening around us all the time. It's happening at a physical level. Now, now, it happens at a deeper level. And this interests me as a pastor. There's a kind of erosion going on all the time around us right now. And it's in the church. The church in the United States of America has been declining in attendance since about 1967. Attendance is going down. Most churches, 1967, has been declining in the United States of America. I was out uh, for coffee with somebody uh, recently, and he asked me, he says, why do you think that's happening? I get asked that all the time as a pastor. Why do you think it's happening? And I always answer the question the same way. I said, how many people have you invited to church in the last year? Right? It kind of answers itself, doesn't it? Right? If the answer is zero, just carry that out exponentially over all the churches in the country. And the church declines over and over and over. Now, you, you don't notice that at first. They didn't notice that so much in 1968. But, but they're saying now, the, the demographers are, are saying that by 2050, which is not that far away, 2050, the church will be half the size it is right now in the United States. We're in a constant state of erosion and change without necessarily seeing it day to day. Now, it happens at an even deeper level. It happens at a spiritual level as well. I have the feeling that you and I and most people around us are feeling the, the decline, uh, the erosion that comes with discouragement on a daily basis. And we, we don't notice it until it gets really bad and we're overwhelmed with sadness and depression. But I think most people out there are a dry lawn, longing for water, nearly dead, 
because we so rarely use our words to encourage one another. We use words to discourage each other all the time. You look at the climate of our country right now. You look at the, the words coming through the media, the words coming through the, the government. You look at words on a lot of people's Facebook pages. A lot of people are voices of discouragement. You, some of us need to start using Facebook like we think Jesus can read. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I got a Pentecostal. Good. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but honestly, I, I, think, I think we're in the constant uh, uh, process of erosion without realizing it. We're in a series now on Sunday mornings called Me and My Big Mouth, and we're talking about communication because communication is critical to everything we do. It's what we're doing right now. It's what we do in our relationships. It's what we do in our marriages. It's what we do in our work. Communication is essential to all that we do, and we don't always stop and think about the way we're doing it. We don't always stop and take lessons in communication in order to get better at it, but we should. We need it every single day. And as, you, as I said at the beginning of the series a couple weeks ago, the, the, the cornerstone of this series is that God has given us two ears and one mouth because we're supposed to use one of them twice as much as the other, right? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, the Bible says. And we should use our words to bless and not to curse. We should use our words to bless and not to curse. I think so many of us are in a, a process of erosion through discouragement that we are longing for words of encouragement and blessing in our lives. Listen, when, when soil is eroding, you plant trees. When people's hearts are eroding, you plant encouragement. And that's what I want us to learn to do. There, there's erosion going around all of us all the time, but God wants to be a voice of encouragement in our lives, and God wants us to use our voices to bless others. Let me show you a passage in the Scriptures uh, that's a great example of that. Open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 tells the story of a Jesus interaction with one of his early disciples, a guy named Levi. Uh, Levi is also known as Matthew. They often had two names. And Jesus went and tapped Matthew to be one of his followers. And when you first read this story, it just looks like a, a cute story of Jesus telling some guy to follow him, and the guy does. But there's a backstory here that's fascinating. There's a backstory here that says that Matthew, that Levi, has been overwhelmed with discouragement, has given in to discouragement. And Jesus becomes a voice of encouragement and healing in his life like no other. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. Listen to the word of God. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the, uh, the Jewish elites, the people who knew the scriptures very well, and often were known as being particularly judgmental on people who are not as good as them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the most quoted passages of Jesus. If you haven't underlined that one, underline that one. If you haven't memorized that one, memorize it. I have not come to call the, the healthy, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now here's the backstory. Matthew was a tax collector. In the first century Jewish world, the tax collectors were Jewish people who were taking money away from other Jewish people to give to the Romans. 
Rome had conquered Judea, and they did what they did in every nation that they conquered. They would conscript their sons into the army and exact taxes on the country that kept the country poor and that kept Rome rich. Rome conquered territory after territory, as far as from England to India, and they were largely resented and feared. But no one could rise up against them because the, the taxes kept the people poor, and they conscripted their sons into their army so that they were dependent on Rome. If you were uh, living in first century Judea, a tax collector was one of your own people who had climbed out of poverty by working for Rome and was now taking money away from their friends and neighbors to give to the enemy that ruled over them. If you were a tax collector, you were hated. I mean, imagine in this world today, if you work for the IRS, going around and introducing yourself to people, you've probably come up with a clever way to say that now. I'm in finance. Hi, Bob. Nice to meet you. I know, I'm a pastor, I tell everybody I'm a teacher. It's kind of true, right? It's just kind of, a, it, it ends the conversation before it starts. I'm a pastor, oh. Um, if you work for the IRS, you probably know what this experience is like. But in a, in a first century Jewish world, it was even worse. Because not only were you taking money from people, you were taking it for the enemy and skimming some off the top for yourself. That's who Matthew is. Now that was not Matthew's dream when Matthew was a little boy. A little Jewish boy growing up in the first century had one target in mind. The dream job, the pinnacle of society for a Jewish boy in the first century was rabbi. You wanted to be a rabbi. A rabbi was a theologian who knew God's law better than anybody else. And a rabbi was a teacher who taught other people God's law. And a rabbi was a lawyer who actually settled cases of conflict between people who would come and say, what does God's law say about this? And the rabbi had the authority to interpret God's law and apply it like a judge. The, the rabbi was a theologian, teacher, or lawyer, and every Jewish boy wanted to be one of these. If you were not good enough, because not everybody got to be a rabbi, if you were not tapped to be a rabbi, the rabbis would say, go back and apply the trade of your father. Learn the trade of your father, and maybe your son will be a rabbi one day. Matthew is not a rabbi. So what does that mean? Somewhere along the way, someone told him he wasn't good enough. They then said, go and apply the trade of your father. Learn the trade of your father. And so, you know, like Joseph was a carpenter, Jesus was a carpenter. You learn whatever job your dad had, and that was your job. But listen, no Jewish man ever taught his son to be a tax collector. That was not a job that a Jewish man passed on to his son. That was a disgraceful job. And so I wonder, I wonder if Matthew grew up without a dad. I think that might be the case. That Matthew grew up having no one to call father. And when he aspired to be a rabbi, was told, go home. And so, uh, so Matthew now, in that, in that place of discouragement, had taken a job that was hated by everybody. I mean, imagine him growing up lonely, feeling rejected, and settling, and taking a job for which everyone would hate him, because the best he could hope for was to get rich. Jesus goes to that guy that guy who has been eroded by discouragement and says, I choose you. I want you to come follow me. This is him being tapped 
by a rabbi. Because Jesus loves the JV. Jesus takes us in the midst of our discouragement and rejection and brokenness and says, I still want you. The Bible tells us to use our voices to bless. It models voices of blessing. And it reveals to us a God who is a God of encouragement. A lot of people have a really bad idea about who God is. They have a really bad sense for who God is. A lot of people walk around in their heads with a metaphor of God being like the, you know, the hall monitor in elementary school. That's who God is. For a lot of people, they think it's a terrible metaphor, but a lot of people think God is like the hall monitor in elementary school. You remember this? Remember when you were in elementary school and one of the kids got to be the hall monitor? They were like, they had a vest and a clipboard. They were, all they were was the class tattletale. The teacher got tired of them tattling, and so they made them the official tattletale, right? Gave them a job to do so they weren't always tattling. And then the, the, the hall monitor gets to walk around the hall catching kids being in the hall when they're not supposed to and giving out tickets, right? It is the ultimate game of cops and robbers for an elementary kid. And, and so if you're the, the class tattletale, this is your dream job. You get to go around busting other kids. Some people think that that's what God is like, that the purpose of life is just to keep following the rules so God, the hall monitor, doesn't give you a ticket somewhere along the way. And maybe when the game's over, you get to go to heaven. That's a terrible view of God. That's not what God is like at all. That's not what the Bible says God is like. God's not a hall monitor waiting to bust us. God is a voice of encouragement who knows exactly where we're broken, who knows exactly where we're discouraged, and wants to give us exactly what we need to know that we're loved. Um, I have another supernatural story, uh, and I have permission to share the story, but not the name. So uh, there's uh, a woman in the church uh, who's uh, single. And uh, she was in one of the grocery stores, you know, where the, the floral section is, where they have a, a bunch of bouquets of flowers in the, in the grocery store. And she's standing by the flowers, and she's angry because no one buys her flowers. And so she prayed, and she said, Jesus, I'm angry because nobody buys me flowers. And that's a good prayer. That's how prayer ought to work. Prayer involves no special vocabulary. It's not a theological hoity-toity thing. Prayer is talking to God in your own words about things that are really going on in your heart and then waiting for him to talk to you. That's what prayer is. So she's in the grocery store standing by the flowers. She says, Jesus, I'm mad. Nobody buys me flowers. And she felt in her heart, she said, I, I felt Jesus say, well, look, all the money that you have is mine. So buy yourself some flowers and those are from me. Yeah, the, the economists in the crowd are not clapping, but every, yeah, everybody else, that's, that's really good. But now get this, get this, it gets better. So she goes, she goes through the checkout line, buys flowers, gets home. She happens to look at the receipt and she looks at it again. The flowers are not on there. And she said, Jesus really did buy me flowers. <laughs> now wait, it gets better than that. So a few days later, she gets a new job. And the boss says to her, uh, there's uh, all these different things we need you to do around the office. One of the things we need you to do, it's just a little chore we need. We need you to buy fresh flowers for the office every single week. Whatever ones you want, we'll pay for it. Just go out and buy fresh flowers. And she says, Jesus buys me flowers every week now. <laughs> now, if you're a naive skeptic, you will write all of that off as a coincidence. But that is naive. This is the God we worship. 
It's a God who really knows our hearts and knows what we need and knows our discouragements and knows that we are in this constant process of erosion. And where erosion is wearing us away, God wants to plant hope. God wants to plant encouragement. That's the God we worship, the God who buys us flowers, not the hall monitor. There's another passage in the scripture I want you to look at in Philippians chapter 1. I want you to look at this one because this is probably the most encouraging passage in all of scripture. I mean, not just encouraging to us personally, but I mean the actual voice of the author is overwhelmed with encouragement. This is the Apostle Paul, a first century church planner. He went around starting churches everywhere he went, and he is not always a voice of encouragement. He had some days where he's a grouchy guy, and it might have been better if he didn't pick up a pen. But When he writes to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, in the city of Philippi, he loves the Philippians. He is so excited by them. They've been growing in faith. They're doing the things the church ought to do. He loves them and he's excited by them. So he writes a letter to the Philippians that goes this way. This is in Philippians chapter one at verse one. First, he introduces himself. Paul and Timothy, that's his friend, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons, those are the church leaders, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You can tell that he's in a good mood because of his flair for the superlative. I love all of you all the time and all my prayers. I always remember you. This is Paul after he's gotten in the catnip. Paul's in a good mood here. And he's thankful for them at all stages on life's way. I'm thankful that you, for your partnership from the beginning until now, that you share in the gospel with me right now and will until the day where we stand in front of Jesus in the end. I'm thankful for you through all time. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart whether I am in chains, because he actually writes this letter from prison. He is in this mood in prison. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He is in this overwhelming, positive, encouraging mood in prison. Now listen, this is a warning to you and I. We don't get to use the circumstances of the world around us to say, that's why I'm in a bad mood and rude to everybody. We don't get to use the context of our world and say, I'm not happy because of the world around me. The, the, The scriptures teach, and actually modern psychology has now discovered, that's not where happiness comes from. The the longest study on happiness ever done just came out of Harvard a couple years ago. They did the study over the course of 75 years. That literally means the first generation of researchers had to hand the research to the next generation to continue it to the end. 75 years of research on, on a population of people to see what made them happy. And they said happiness was not in any way tied to context. It wasn't tied to surroundings. It wasn't tied to financial stability. It was tied to one thing only. He was tied to love. People were happiest if they were in loving relationships. It said they did not have to be romantic relationships, and they did not have to be, there did not have to be a lot of them. There just had to be deeply loving relationships in their lives. Paul in prison is overwhelmed with encouragement because of the love he shares with the Philippians. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's the day they stand in front of Jesus in the end. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The scripture commands encouragement. It shows us texts of encouragement. And it reveals to us a God of encouragement. A God who wants to buy us flowers, not the God who's the hall monitor. And if you look at some of the great revolutions in human history, encouragement, encouragement has the power to bring about revolution. Uh, this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, you, you ought to read one of the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., especially if you've never read one before. I've talked to students graduating from high school who have never read one of his speeches. That's inexcusable. They're, they're not only some of the best oratory in American history, it's some of the best writing in American history. If you've never read the, the I Have a Dream speech, start there and read that one. We all know Martin Luther King Jr. for his fight against racism and segregation. But what you're overwhelmed by when you read his speeches is his hope and encouragement. He literally seemed to think he could encourage a, nature, a nation to be a better people. And his voice is, is brimming with hope in the midst of, of terrible, horrible things. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at one point said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And in the same way, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And, and in, this, in this angry, polarizing world where people like to yell at each other on social media, what would it be like if the church sounded like that voice? If the church sounded like the voice of Jesus? What if instead of being known for what we were against, the church was known what we were for? What if the church were known for being this, this just overwhelming, encouraging, loving population of people? You want to know why the church has been declining since 1967? Listen to, the things we, listen to the things we've been saying. Listen to the way we talk to people. What if the church were known as this, this center of encouragement? Encouragement brings about revolutions. I'll tell you another revolution that was brought out surely by encouragement, by one guy encouraging another, brought about a revolution in world history. Uh, as you know, your pastor is all things nerd, uh, I'm happy to discuss Greek verbs with you or uh, play Star Wars trivia or, uh, or Lord of the Rings trivia because it's important for you to know why Saruman could be deceived by the ring and Gandalf couldn't because Gandalf was, when it, you know, in Valar, his, his uh, archangel was uh, Nemea and she was um, the goddess who turned uh, grief into wisdom and so that was his patron saint and so he couldn't be deceived by the ring. But Saruman's Archangel was the god of craftsmen, of being crafting, so he could be deceived. So Don't make fun of me in a sermon on encouragement. <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you a little Lord of the Rings trivia that's worth knowing, though. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was writing little kids, uh, little kids stories to his kids. These were bedtime stories, and he had no intention of publishing them. He had no expectation that anybody else would care about them. And he himself wrote that it was actually the voice of his friend, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian theologian and writer C.S. Lewis, who told him, this stuff is great. You ought to share this with the world. And Tolkien himself said, if it weren't for Lewis, the Lord of the Rings would have never come to be. Right? These little kids' bedtime stories about hobbits are now all over the world in all kinds of languages. And it's because one guy encouraged another. So let me give you and I a challenge this week. Let's do this this week. Let's encourage seven people this week, one a day. That's easy. One a day, that's easy. It might be seven more than some of us did last week. But let's encourage seven people this week. One a day. Uh, start this way. You can send somebody an email today. 
Whatever email God lays on your heart. If God puts an email on your heart, you send that person an email and you encourage them today, okay? Uh, Maybe it's a, you know, if you go pick up a kid at one of our classes after church, there's a teacher standing there who may have been stressed for the last hour. (laughs) That could be your first one today. Maybe some of us are overdue to do that, right? Um, Maybe it's somebody in your family or somebody at work. But once a day this week, encourage someone. Who knows what revolution you might bring about? And I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more. Uh, there's, a, there's a ministry we have coming up called Alpha. Uh, and if you have not been to Alpha yet, I'd love for you to come check this out. If, you're, if you just heard me talk about it a lot and now you want to see it for yourself, uh, come join us. What we're going to do is for six Monday nights in a row, starting in February, first Monday in February, we're going to rent out Frisella's Restaurant over on Glendora Avenue. And we put on a free dinner. And it's free for you and it's free for whoever you bring. And we sit and talk and we watch about a 20-minute video that's really about what life is for. And it talks about what, what Christianity has to say into this world. And then we talk about it together. But it's not super preachy. The only rule for everybody there is you can't tell anybody they're wrong. Because the world needs to hear voices of encouragement from the church, not just voices telling them what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. Uh, If you've never come to that before, if you've never come to Alpha before, but you've been sitting there thinking, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to come or not. I'm already in. Can I come anyway? Yes, you can. I want you to see this. And if you have a friend that you'd love to invite along, it's an easy invite. Hey, do you want to have a free dinner at Frasella's? There's a video, and then we hang out and talk about whatever we want to. Bring a friend along. The encouragement that you might offer into someone else's life by inviting them in it might change their eternity. And anytime you change someone's eternity, you have revolutionized the world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, you can awaken dry hearts, that you can pour water onto dry lawns and refresh us and bring us back to life. If there's anybody here now who has just been weighed down by discouragement. God, whisper your love into their hearts. May they feel how much they are embraced by you. God, give everybody exactly the bouquet they need this week. And then use our voices to bless the world. May we be those voices of blessing and encouragement that raise up dry souls to new life. And may we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.